we are talking about when God is hidden, when God is silent, and, and you're going through perhaps something very difficult, um, perhaps you are simply at a time where you feel very dry, and you were wondering where God is at, and we're talking about those moments where God is hidden. And last week, as we started this story and we saw the two disciples, they had turned away from Jerusalem and they were going away from Christ. And they had given up. Their hope was gone. And Jesus comes right into their midst and he begins to have a conversation with them. What's going on? And they eventually let out, our hope was in him. And it's done, it's over with, it's gone and it was so gone for them that even when they get a message that the body is gone, angels have shown up, and the women are saying he is risen, that isn't enough for these guys to stick around. They have completely given up. And as they're walking toward Emmaus, they start this conversation with Jesus. How is it that God reveals himself? How is it that when he is hidden, we find him? In my house, we do a lot of hide-and-seek. Uh, my two older ones love to play hide-and-seek, especially my three-year-old. And there's a very different way that my eight-year-old plays and my three-year-old plays. They run and hide, I count, and I go to look for them. And I'm walking into the room, and it takes maybe five seconds. And my three-year-old is going, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. And if I don't find him, he'll move a pillow or something. And if I still don't find him, he'll get up. I'm over here. <laughs> he wants to be found. My eight-year-old, she finds crevices and nooks in our house that we didn't know were there. You would think that, like, there's, there's a limited amount of space. You would think, like, I'm going to find her. There are times where she hides in places that we are searching for, like, ten minutes and we still can't find her. That's what I think at times it feels like with God. In fact, there was one time where I was looking for my daughter, and I thought she had said we were playing upstairs. And I looked everywhere, and I finally just kind of gave up. Well, she still didn't come out. She just stayed hidden. And I think she was hidden for like 20 minutes. We had gone on and doing something else. I figured she'd come out eventually. I wasn't even looking in the right spot. She was downstairs. That's why I couldn't find her. But she just remained hidden. Sometimes it feels like that's what God is doing. He's just, he wants to, to find this place that we're not going to find him. Because I'm crying out. I'm, I'm looking for him, but I can't seem to find him no matter what. How do we find God in those times? Open up your Bible, Luke chapter 24. It is very interesting to me the way Jesus first, once he hears the story, um, these guys have suffered, right? They have given up everything. They really believe. I mean, they threw their heart and soul into Jesus. I mean, this is the guy that is going to save Israel. This is the one we've been waiting for. And they gave 
all of their heart over this. They left Emmaus, where they live, and they went to spend time in Jerusalem. We have no idea how long we're there, but there is probably work that needs to be done back in Emmaus. They gave that up. They were all in. And then Jesus dies. I mean, the Romans kill him. This is the guy that's supposed to overthrow the Romans, and the Romans kill him. On top of that, the religious leaders are the ones that instigate it. And so as these guys are walking back, I mean, they are broken, they are hurting, and they are wondering where God is. And then Jesus says this to them in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Not the expected response for a broken person. You might think that he would go, now that he's heard the story, now that he understands that their hopes have been crushed, that he would go, no, 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 no. I'm right here. I mean, put his arm around him, you know, hug him, love him a little bit, tell him it's going to be all right. And instead, in this moment where, and we didn't read this, it was last week, but they have stopped their journey. They have looked at him and they've started this thing. And he says, oh, foolish ones. This is a, a term that carries the idea of you have no common sense. Um, you lack any kind of wisdom or putting things together. Um, you've been foolish in this. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had thrown myself, my heart, my soul, everything into a guy, and he was supposed to defeat a certain group of people and they killed him, I'd probably be heartbroken. I'd probably be like, yeah, I, we've lost. I'm going back to my old job. I'm going back to Emmaus. And yet Jesus is saying that is a foolish move. Why? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Slow. doesn't mean you don't come to it. It means it doesn't happen quick enough. It, it's what your kids do when you're trying to get them ready for something. They drag their feet and take way too long. It's slow of heart. Now, heart is not, I mean, especially on Mother's Day, when we think of heart, we think of love and the way we would do it. And heart here is the inner working of the being. It's the mind, it's the emotions, it's the will, it's all of it. Right? They don't have that, just that little narrow thing that we often think of. Within the depths of who you are, you have been dragging your feet to believe. The problem is not that I died. The problem is that you don't believe. The problem is not that you are hopeless. The problem is that you're hopeless because you haven't placed your hope in me. That's your problem. You are slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I understand what it looks like. But that's not the reality. I am the reality. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things... And enter into his glory. And then verse 27. I am so mad at Luke. Can't believe all we get is verse 27 from this. The best Bible study ever done in the history of mankind. And we get one verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he took the Old Testament. And he walked them through the whole thing to show them Messiah. You know, and we can take some guesses there's a number of psalms he could have gone through. Isaiah 52, Zechariah. I mean, there's some places that we might imagine he may have gone through. But man, what I wouldn't give 
to hear that study. Because it's, by the way, seven-mile trip. Um, this probably took them upwards of an hour and a half to two hours. Man, could you imagine an hour of listening to Jesus walk through the Old Testament? That's what they get. That's their Bible study. I want to set the foundation for the next two things. God reveals himself most often through faith. God reveals himself most often through faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I'm just quoting scripture. I'm not making something up. Because you have to believe that he exists. And and here's the thing. We have faith all the time. Hey, we exercise faith on a regular basis. I'm going to give you an example of, of an instance where, and, and you've probably, I hope, never actually been in this situation, but everybody who gets on an airplane, you know that spiel they do at the beginning that we all ignore? All right, part of that spiel says this. If we lose oxygen and the masks come down, what are you supposed to do with the mask? Secure yours first. Is there any parent in the room that thinks that's the best idea emotionally? If things start going bad, what's your first reaction? Save my child. And yet, what's the best reaction? Save yourself. Because intellectually, you understand that if you pass out, they're in trouble. So you got to do this so that you can actually help them. But that's an intellectual thing, not an emotional thing. Faith is often the emotional, the will, the heart. Because intellectually, many of us can think our way through quite a bit of Christianity. I mean, I can ask one very simple question. From a science perspective, why is there something instead of nothing? I don't care if you're an evolutionist or anything else. At some point, there has to be something that is supernatural to create the natural. However, that intellectual argument doesn't mean a whole lot when you're in the midst of suffering. I can walk through the fact that more than 500 people are recorded as seeing Jesus. I can tell you this. There were 11 guys that their reaction was to run away, to be afraid, to hide themselves. And yet those 11 guys would turn into more than 2 billion people 2,000 years later. What changed in their lives? What made fishermen, bold people, to go out and proclaim something? Yeah, we can think through all of that. We can think through prophecy. We can do, but most of those things, they really aren't that helpful when your child has cancer. They aren't that helpful when you've had this real long, dry time with God. Because emotionally, We still need faith. And that is what they needed. Now, where did he start? And here's where we want to go. But keep this in mind. God most often reveals himself through faith. But then he's going to show two ways. Faith that manifests itself in two ways. Number one, God's word. 
this may be the most important thing I'm going to say. He manifests himself through his word. All right? Now, I want you to think about something. Jesus himself in the flesh is walking with these guys. And instead of saying, hey, here I am, let me explain things to you, where does he go? He goes into the scripture even when he's physically with them. He still goes into God's word to reveal himself. Because God's word is a personal, purposeful way that God has chosen to make himself known. And those two things I want to sit on for a minute. It is personal. Here's part of the problem with the way that we often look at the scriptures. We see it as history. We see it as neat stories. We see it as rules. We see it as poetry, maybe some wisdom. How often do we see it as a personal thing to us? A couple scriptures for you. You can just write these down, or you can flip real quickly with me, but I'm going to read them quickly, so I'll just tell them to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is personal. It is his breath. John chapter 1. I'm going to show you how personal. John chapter 1. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is so personal that it wasn't enough only to have something written. That he would actually come among us to share the truth of God. It's that personal. It's this personal. This is from my daughter. She wrote this for me. It says, all about my dad. And what they did is they, they wrote a line and then they left a blank for the kids to fill in. Uh, they, so example, here's the first one. My dad's name is, and she filled it in, Jason Bowman, daddy. My dad's favorite food is cereal with fruit. <laughs> I do eat it every morning, but it's <laughs> my favorite cereal. He always makes me laugh when he tickles me a lot. When my dad goes to work, he usually spends his day at meetings and preaching seven days a week. Here's my favorite. Before he had kids, my dad made mommy happy. And she ends this way, I know my dad loves me because he always says, I love you. This is personal. I'd never read this as like a historical study in what eight, eighth grade, or second year, I can't even talk, eight-year-olds <laughs> do in a school project. Um, I wouldn't read this as a list of, okay, I'm supposed to check things off, this is what I do with my life type thing. This is my daughter speaking to me. 
That's the scripture. The scripture is. When God is hidden, the scripture is revealing God to us. And it is meant to be to us. I'm going to come back and show you what it looks like in a moment, but I want to draw your attention to one more thing about the scripture. Um, Go ahead, if you have your Bible, and turn to the 2 Timothy passage. Scripture was not meant to be a checklist. Um, It wasn't meant to be something that you would uh, just read through and and get some neat ideas or or memorize some stuff. um, it, It had an actual purpose. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. And now listen, he's talking about the very nature of the word. Right? Its nature is that it came from God himself. It's his breath. But not just that, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This word is meant to be read in such a way that God is saying, Tim, I'm training you. Dave, I'm correcting you right now. You've got a misunderstanding about you or me or something, and I am correcting you right now. Stan, I am teaching you. Right now, I'm teaching you as you read this word. Kathy, I'm training you. I am training you to be my disciple right now as you read this word. It's a personal word meant for us to correct and to train and to reproof. Now, just an example. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Give you an idea of what this might look like. Philippians chapter 1. It is vital for pastors, for anybody who's doing public teaching of the scriptures to really study it, to learn its background, to know its history, to learn the language if you can, to make sure that what I'm conveying to all of you is really what God wants conveyed. However, you do not need a seminary degree to sit in your living room and read the scripture. What you need is faith and an open heart, and a belief that God is personally speaking to you. Here's an example. Um, let's just say, I'm, uh, I'll give one, and, and this isn't happening right now, um, thankfully. I lost my job. I, I haven't. I'm still here. Um, the vestry did not fire me yet. I've lost my job. I'm struggling. Um, I've, I've lashed out a few times at my family because of my frustration. Um, I'm wondering where God's at. I start reading verse 3 of Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Does that mean me, Lord? You're going to bring to completion what you've done in me too. And right now I'm feeling like you are not. I'm feeling like I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but, but you're still working in me. I've got a wrong view of what you're doing right now. And, and God, I'm noticing that 
Paul is so focused on these other people. He's finding such joy in them. I have been attacking my family because of my frustrations. Maybe you're calling me to have joy in what I'm doing. Because the scripture is personal. And it's talking to us. It's talking to you in your situation. And God is not hidden. In faith, he is revealing himself in his word. And, and, and what, I am, what I am charging you to do is to come before him like those disciples and say, all right, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. And to be honest, like we talked about last week, and to pour yourself out and to recognize where you have messed up and where you're fighting with other people. And, and then to say, God, speak to me in your word. I'm open to this. And begin to read. And just read slowly. And stop and listen to the spirit in your life. And think through it. And have a conversation. Even as I was doing up here, have a conversation with God, with the scriptures. Because in this book, he will tell you, you are loved. He will tell you, he has plans. He will tell you, he doesn't give up on people. He will tell you that you belong to him. And you will see others who have loved him going through struggles just like you. You will see these two guys on the Emmaus Road who are in a hopeless situation and yet God is there to speak to them through his word. To find the hidden God, it most often begins with faith. And one of those ways is faith in his word. I'd imagine that if you live in Texas, at some point, you have driven through a construction zone. Because there's a hundred million of them all the time in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And you see the flashing lights and you see all the signs to slow down, to drive slower. Well, in Missouri, they're taking this, or at least they're experimenting with taking this to a whole other level. Um, instead of just flashing lights and signs that say, slow down, there's workers, they're experimenting with, a, with an LRAD, a long-distance acoustic device that is used by the Navy this device sends out a concentrated beam of sound that can go up to seven miles. Man, is that overkill? <laughs> Maybe going a little, little too far here with construction signs. And Here's why they're doing it. Here's why they're experimenting with it. They've actually, they're experimenting with it. Because between 2009 and 2013, 53 Workers died from vehicles hitting them in work zones. And almost 3,000 more went to the hospital with injuries. Why? Because if I asked in this room right now, and I won't, to raise your hand, how many of you actually slow down in a construction zone, I bet there wouldn't be a whole lot of hands that went up unless you see a cop. Because we don't really take the warnings all that seriously. We think we have control. I mean, we think, you know, I've done this many times. I don't really need to recognize those warning signs. 
And yet, by not recognizing them, life is being destroyed. People are being hurt. And this morning, I want to pull out God's Elrad. Read my word. Listen to it. Because by not doing it, people are being hurt. Sometimes us. Because he's trying to reveal himself and we aren't listening. Because we aren't in his word in faith. And here's the second. Back in Luke. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. So they've made their seven miles. And the village, you might imagine, is kind of off over here. And, and as they get to the village, these two guys look like they're heading this way. And Jesus looks like he's just going to keep walking. And so they urge him, stay with us. Uh, it's toward evening. The, the day is now spent. You know, we've been walking for a while. It's, it's getting dark. And so he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And finally, I mean, all the way back in, in verse 13 when this thing starts, they still haven't known who Jesus is. From the moment he walks up and starts talking to them, through the Bible study, they, they don't know who this guy is until... until he breaks bread. Now, it's likely that they're having some kind of meal here, and this isn't our communion service. However, Luke very intentionally uses the same language he does at the Last Supper. Even when he says at table, which is an odd way of saying it, even that is like what he says during the Last Supper because he's drawing attention to communion. He's drawing attention to the sacrament. On Monday, Thursday, I tried to convey how important this moment was. That Jesus would say to his disciples, okay, this meal right here, this is the last one until I come and have one in the kingdom with you. But I'm not going to leave you empty. What I want you to do is I want you to keep doing this meal. Because every time you do it, you'll remember me. More importantly, you'll remember there's another meal coming. And we're going to celebrate in the kingdom together. And Luke uses this language at this moment to say, finally, when the bread is broken, they go, oh, it's Jesus. They see him in the sacrament by faith. They finally see him. This moment has been a cornerstone in the church and I understand there's, there's a lot of people here. You have backgrounds from different traditions. But this moment has been a cornerstone in the church since the beginning. Because people saw it not only as Jesus going, you do this. But they saw it as this is a moment where Jesus reveals himself. This is a moment where we, we touch him, where we see him. The sacrament is not just coming up here and getting some bread. It's not just getting a drink of wine. You can do both those things at home. But I will tell you this, if you don't approach it in faith, that's all it is. Because there's nothing magical about this thing. Hey, this is an unleavened piece of bread. There's nothing magical about it. 
But when you come at it in faith, because Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. And when you come up here and receive this in faith, I will meet with you. This is what I think is happening in this moment for them. Back in 1880, there was a little girl born, and she was actually quite impressive. She started speaking and walking before 12 months. Um, and I know that's impressive because I've got a 12-month-old, almost 13-month-old who is still babbling at me all the time and can't quite walk. Before she's one, she is talking and she is walking. And at 18 months of age, she caught a very, very high fever. And when that fever broke, her mother noticed two things. She didn't seem to hear the bell for dinner, and she no longer recognized anything moving in front of her. And at 18 months of age, Helen Keller was blind and deaf. Now just imagine that for a moment. You know, what I would love to be able to do is to put everybody in complete darkness and then plug your ears and just imagine for a moment what it's like. You don't, you don't connect to the world in the same way. And it was so frustrating for her that as she was growing up and at the age of six, she was throwing such terrible tantrums. And, and do you blame her? She couldn't communicate. She couldn't, I mean, everything was different from what everybody else was experiencing. And finally, at seven, Anne Sullivan became her teacher. And here's where the breakthrough came. She, Anne Sullivan wanted to bring her away from her parents, away from everything. And so they brought her to this cottage where it would just be her teacher and her. And they began to work to try and get her to see a world that she couldn't see, that she couldn't hear. And the way they did it, the way she did it, is she brought her out to a pump, and she'd pump this water. And as water would flow over her hand, she took her hand and she wrote in her hand water over and over again until she seemed to get it. And then when she got it, Helen Keller fell to the ground and started pounding the ground. And so she wrote that in her hand. And on that day, she learned 30 words. She learned how to somehow experience a world that she couldn't see and she couldn't hear. Here's what she said in her autobiography. And you can actually, on the, on the biography channel, you can actually hear this. Um, this is from Helen Keller. Though I cannot see your world or hear it, I am of it. I can imagine it, I can sense it, and I can believe in it. That's us. The sacrament is God writing in our hands because we cannot see him, we cannot hear him, and I know there are times where God shows up in a vision to people, but is that anybody's normal experience in here? That spiritual world is something we don't see, we don't hear as much as we might want to. 
And the sacrament is a tangible way that God is writing in our hands to say, I am here. He started this in the Old Testament as he gave them these feasts and these festivals. And and it wasn't just remember that I took you out of Egypt. It was celebrate the Passover and do these certain things so that you will remember, so that you will experience what I have done for you. And now it is, I have died for you. I have given my life and I have rose again. And I know that you cannot see or hear, but I know that you can imagine. All of us can. And I know that you can believe. Will you come up here and in faith receive me? God through faith, reveals himself in word and sacrament. It's amazing as after this happens, what happens to these guys? And everything changes for them. When they in faith receive, when they see these things, when finally Jesus is there, they make a turnaround. They head back to Jerusalem. They head back to confess and to witness. But Jesus isn't with them. It's still in faith. Because at that moment, he disappears. And they still have to make that seven-mile journey back and continue to believe that that was actually Jesus with them. But they do. And they go back, and they start to tell the others because it impacts them, it changes them, as it will us. You cannot experience and see Jesus without it impacting your life. But you have to hold on to it. If you've ever had a moment where God was so real, you felt him, you sensed him, he brought you to tears, whatever it was, I would bet that moment didn't last forever. It doesn't last forever for them. The very faith that reveals God is the faith you have to keep as you move between moments where it is really, really, really real and moments where you struggle. But here is the beauty of God. He's not like my daughter. I know it feels that way. He's not like my daughter. He's not hiding just so you can't find him. If God is hidden, much like with Christ when he comes to these people, there is a reason. And what I said at the beginning is God's hiddenness does not mean God's absence. He was right there with him. But more importantly, God is much more like my son than my daughter. Who came up to these two guys? They were, they were leaving. They had given up. I mean, they had stopped looking. But Jesus came up to them and started the conversation. Right now, this morning, God is trying to start a conversation with you. Wherever you are, wherever you are in this path, God is starting a conversation with you. He's looking for you. 
And he wants to reveal himself in his word and in what we're about to do in 10 minutes or so. Will you believe? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you don't give up. Lord, last week we looked at Abraham who went two decades with only barely hearing from you, but not giving up. And you fulfilled your promise. Lord, fulfill in us the plans and desires that you have for us. For those that are dry, touch their hearts this morning. For those that are looking for you, increase faith. Lord, help us to embrace that your hiddenness is not your absence, but you have purpose, that your son didn't die for no reason, that he didn't raise for no reason, but that you want to give us life. And Lord, let us fully embrace that life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.